welcome here. Glad to have you guys here this Friday evening, even though it's, thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, so this is your first time. My hair does not normally look like this. We did a fundraiser for the Newfoundland team. Um, a certain, num- a cer- wow. Uh, a, a certain number of dollars was raised. So you guys raised a lot of money. Uh, you guys raised, I think, like $5,600. Uh, towards that trip. And for that, we are extremely grateful and can praise God for that. Um, and, and we'd love to see you guys continue to give in generosity uh, towards our team that's going to Italy. Um, there's not an incentive attached to it. No one else is going to die or bleach their hair. Uh, but just want to challenge you guys to continue to be generous people. Um, yeah, so I do look like Danny Phantom. Uh, it's, a, it's a good look, but... Okay. Uh, we're going to get started, aside from that. Uh, something that we really love in our culture is reliability and dependability. Like, we just love loyalty and this idea of consistency. So we, we see that in, in our vehicles that we purchase. Like, when we go buy a vehicle, we want to make sure that it gets us from point A to point B. That it's not going to break down on us, that it's actually going to be successful in getting us to where we need to be. We also see that in things like, like people that employ you for your summer jobs. As you go and get interviewed, their concern is like, is this person dependable? Are they say who they say they are? Like on their res- you submit a resume and they, they're concerned like when they come to interview you, are you actually what you say you are about? Will you show up to your shift on time? Will you be consistent in showing up and being a dependable worker? And we also see it in relationships and, and friendships. Like we see this and hoping that our friends will stick with us in hard times, that, that they will be by our side when things get difficult, that they will continue to show up, that they'll continue to be someone that is supportive of, a, supportive of us. Like we don't want friends that are dodgy or people that are just gonna be flaky on us. We want people that are dependable, that will be there in the hard times. We care about, do, do their words like matter? Do what they say to us, is that actually true? Like the things that they tell us, are they gonna follow through on that? Do, do their actions correspond with the things that they tell us. And we've probably been in, we've all probably been in like circumstances where this has been the opposite case, in, in, in circumstances where our car is not dependable, where we don't get from point A to point B, or our friends are flaky. And so sometimes, like, as I talked about two weeks ago, we often port these things over onto God because our experiences shape us and mold us, and those sorts of things also affect the way that we think about God. But all, all of these things collectively, they inform us about this idea of faithfulness. And it's this concept of faithfulness that we sometimes call into question. We begin to ask, is he who he says he is? Will he do what he says he will do? Will he remain the same or is he going to change? So as we continue on in this series of the Lord, the Lord, my hope for us tonight as we walk through Genesis 22 is that we would see that, that God is faithful, that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he'll do, that he is a faithful God. So we're going to work through this story in Genesis 22. If you have your Bibles, I, I encourage you to turn to that. We're going to look at this story. It's, it's a familiar story for you probably, but we're going to look at it in three chunks, in, in three scenes. So the first scene is that God tests. The second scene is going to be Abraham acts. And the third scene is God responds, God provides. All with this reminder that, that God is faithful. So starting in verse 1, this is what it says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, 
your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So God presents Abraham with this test. But like, but why a test to begin with? Why is God actually providing this test? Because like we have this reaction to being tested. Like if you were just came out of your exam season, you're like, exams are hard. Tests are stressful. They're not fun. Like they're, they're, they're challenging. They're difficult things to walk through. And similarly, when we feel tested in life, we're like, we push back on that. Like what? God's, God's going to test me? But we need to be mindful of two things when we think about the tests that God gives us. We need to be considered, we need to consider the, the character of the test giver, but also like what is, the, what is the purpose and the reason for said test? Like we, we've worked through God's character this, these last number of months as we've walked through Exodus 34, like six and seven, it says that God is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Like God is also holy. He, he's set apart. He cannot, he cannot sin himself. So when we actually think about the test giver, he's not out to tempt us or to trap us and say, like, oh, I got this person. Like that is completely outside of God's character of what, we, what we've worked through these last number of weeks. James 1, 13 says that God tempts nobody. Like that is not what his plan is, but he, he does give us tests. But him testing us in a way that would trap us is, is contrary to his moral character. So we need to understand what is, what is the purpose behind these tests? What is the purpose behind what Abraham is facing in this moment? The purpose of them is, to, is like they're simply an opportunity. They allow something to be revealed. It's an opportunity to put your money where your mouth is, to produce something within us. So as you think about any tests that you've taken, your, your teacher, your professor, even like if you go back to grade school, like the purpose of that test was to, to show your understanding in that particular topic. Did you understand the material that was before you? Similarly, this is something that's happening to Abraham. He's like, do you understand who I am, Abraham? Do you understand my character and who I'm calling you to be and what I'm asking of you? We see a similar thing within James, like, like the book of James, and it highlights this. It says, count it all joy. Like, consider it joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Because for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These, these tests give us an opportunity to show what we know, to exhibit our understanding, to produce something within us, to practice what we've learned about who God is. So in Abe's case, it's not, it's not simply a test of strength or a test of knowledge. For, for Abraham, it is a test of, of faith. It's an opportunity for him to express his faith in the God that has called him in a, in a very real and tangible and concrete way. This test is an opportunity to show potential faith as something that is actually real and tangible and, and seen within his life. It's not just Abraham saying that he has faith in God. He's actually being able to show it explicitly. But the, the issue is, like, what the, the actual test matter is that he's calling Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And the issue with that is that this, this son, Isaac, is, is special because he is the son of promise that Abraham and Sarah have received. If you know anything about these, these people, Abraham and Sarah, they were, nine, they were 90 and 100 when they had Isaac. Like, Sarah was barren for her whole life, and, and there was this promise given to, to Abraham when he was 75 years old. 
saying that I will make a great nation out of you, that I will bless the nations through you, and you will, you will prosper because of me and, and me calling you to be my people. And yet we see this test is, is regarding this promise of, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son, the son in whom you love, the son in which this promise is going to be fulfilled. I want you to sacrifice him in the form of, of a burnt offering, which is a way of expressing a wholehearted commitment to God. Like the purpose of offerings in the Old Testament was to show and to, to give light to your, your worship of God, that you have a relationship with him, that you understand who he is and you want to be in connection with him. And it shows this utter, complete commitment and dependence upon Yahweh. So it's, it's a challenge because he's, he's, calling to, he's calling Abraham in a test of, will you surrender your son Isaac to me? Will you surrender and trust what I've called you and told you about what will happen, will you trust in that? And so we get frustrated at that, but God tests us and he tests people like Abraham to see what is within our heart, to know who we actually are, to bring about our good. Deuteronomy 8 um, talks about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And as they wandered through the wilderness, their, their testing was to see, are they actually going to follow God's commands. Are they actually going to stay steadfast and trust in him? Are they going to continue to follow him? And to see what is within their heart. But also it says that it's to bring about their good, to humble them and to bring about their own good. So as we continue, uh, we will see that this test reveals just as much about Abraham's character as it does about God's character. So as we continue into scene two of this story, we see Abraham his actions, he, he acts. And as we work through this next section of the passage, we will start to see like this compounding effect of how Abraham responds to this call, to this test. So picking back up in, in verse three and four, it says this, it says, so Abraham rose early in the, in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Uh, we, don't, we don't know the details about like, how this actually went down. Of like, Did Abraham tell Sarah that this was taking place? We don't know if he told his two servants that he was bringing what the purpose of this trip was. Like, they're going to worship. But like, it, it's, it's kind of confusing. Like, well, did he let his wife know they're going to take their only son that the promise is coming through? Like, we're just going for some father-son bonding time. Like, this is the first men's retreat in the Bible. Like, <laughs> We don't know those details. Like just going on a boy's trip. But what we do know is that he, he rose early the next morning. So he's, he's presented with this test and he rises early in the next morning. And he, he prepares all the necessary materials. He grabs the wood. He, gets the, he saddles up his donkey. And they set out. So initially he, he, he seems pretty steadfast in his approach. Like he seems pretty resolute about his decision to follow through with this test. Abraham shows his resolve in doing this, that he's not some fair-weather follower, but that he's like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rise early the next morning. I'm going to prepare everything that I need to, and we're going to set out on this journey. So it's not only the fact that he does this immediately, but the fact that it says that it's a three-day journey to get to the place in which God told him to sacrifice his son. A, a lot can happen within 72 hours. Like, if you think about Abraham and what he's experiencing, he, he's traveling for three days and, and stewing upon what, is, like, what he's about to have to do. 
I, I stew on like some of the most simple decisions for days and can like talk myself in or out of anything. And so I can only imagine what Abraham is wrestling with this inner turmoil that he's experiencing as he's like, do I do it, do I don't? Like, how do I remain faithful? Can I come up with like some sort of alternative plan? Can I just like take Isaac's clothes and put it on the donkey? Can I just like run the other way like Jonah did? Can I just be disobedient? This whole time he is faced with this idea of like, how do I follow through with this? Like that's a lot of weight to carry of like, there's no knee-jerk reaction in this for Abraham. He's not able just to like pull the band-aid off and do it. He's not just like able to plug his nose and swallow and be like, oh, I didn't taste a thing. He has to like move from this knee-jerk reaction to a faith-based decision. It's not simply, oops, like I'm just gonna do it, take the plunge. But he's had time to stew on it, to think about it, to reflect on who God's character is and what he's calling him to do in that moment. And as we continue, we'll see in the following verses that Abraham's reaction like, seems to be fairly grounded. As I said, it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction, but we, get to, we see this progression of like, moving from a just simply reaction but to this faith-based decision. So back in, in verse 5, it says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. So he, he prepares the things that are necessary, and both him and Isaac, they make their way up the mountain. And as they're doing so, a, a curious kid, he begins to ask these questions of like, well, what, what's going to happen? Dad, like, we have all the other stuff for this offering, but where's the actual animal that we need to sacrifice? And, and we see that chilling question come up in, in, in verses 7 and 8. He says, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, both of them went together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. And he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached, he reached and took his hand out of his, and took his knife to slaughter his son. What allows Abraham to respond in such a way? To say that the boy and I will go and we will return. Like he says that both me and Isaac will go up and worship, but both of us will return. Not only that, but he says that God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. So much so that he's willing to actually take the knife out and he's ready to kill and, and sacrifice his own son. What allows Abraham to respond in, in such a way? What would allow any of you to respond in a similar fashion or manner? One of the most helpful things that I think we can do as we move forward in faithful action and obedience is to look back at God's faithfulness. And I think that's exactly what Abraham has done in this moment. He's reflecting on his own life and seeing how God has been faithful to him over and over again and is, starts to form this idea that God is truly faithful, that God does not change, that he keeps his promises. Abraham has learned over time that God's faithfulness persists even in seasons in which he has been faithless. 
even when he's lacked his own faith in God. Because you see, Abraham was not perfect in every circumstance. Although it seems that he's about to follow through with what God has asked him with and tasked him with, there were many times in his life in which he did not respond in such a way. Back in Genesis 12, Abraham, he receives this promise from God. So at the age of 75, he's called out of his country to go and to follow God and to, to have faith in what God has promised him. Of, you will be a great nation, and I will prosper you and make great nations out of you, and you will bless the people around you. But twice, in order for that to happen, there needs to be some sort of offspring. He needs to have a child of some sort. And so he starts to get, like, he starts to doubt that. He's like, if, if, that's, if that's the promise, if the promise comes through my ability to have children, I need to do whatever I can to make sure that happens. So not once, but twice, there are moments in which Abe is pressed. He gets put in a difficult circumstance. Once by Pharaoh and once by King Abimelech. And, like, he says that Sarah is his sister. He totally makes it up. He's like, this is my sister. He's like, spare me. I have nothing. She's my sister. Let us both go. Like, he plays his sister card twice in order to save his own skin so that he can have a part of God's promise coming, coming true. But not only in that, in, in between those two occurrences, there's a time in which, like, him and Sarah are like, how is this going to take place? How are we actually going to see this come to fruition? And so they, they scheme up this plan in order that, like, Abraham's seed, like, he will have a, a child through Sarah's servant, Hagar. But that is not the promise in which God has given him. He says, yes, it will come through a, a child, but it's not through Hagar's child. It's through Sarah's offspring. So we get to understand God's character in this time as well. Despite this mess, these missteps that Abe has taken, we see God's faithfulness to him. And he, he provides Abraham with this long-awaited son after 25 years of waiting. 25 full years. That's like older than most of you in here. That's a, that's a long time to wait for a promise from God. But I imagine as he looks at his son displayed before him on this altar, ready to sacrifice him, he probably is reminded of God's faithfulness to him, even in the fact that he has a son before him. A reminder of how God has continued to be faithful through, to him throughout his life. As, as you try to make faithful steps forward, we need to look back at our own life and see how God has been faithful to us. So even in my own story, like I'm here now at Northview in pastoral ministry, trying to be trained up for pastoral ministry, but there's been a lot of long steps to get here, to make my way of like, what does it mean to be called into ministry? What, what is my identity even? Like who am I? I, like I often struggle with my own identity at times, and I, I also struggle with, with mental health stuff and, and like social anxiousness. And with that, I have time and time again, looking back, have seen God's faithfulness through that. And even most recently, seeing uh, through, the, through other people, being able to realize like, okay, I have sometimes misformed like views of myself. That I have times in which I have these weird lenses in which I like these distorted lenses of how my brain works of what I think to be true or I catastrophize these things and think that everything is like either a major issue or it's like if it's partially bad, it's going to be like terrible completely. And yet through the use of people around me, God has been able to show his faithfulness and, and reminding me of who, what my identity is, of who I am and what is actually true and bringing about this good, even though in times, there are many times in which we've all experienced things that are difficult. 
But in order for us to faithfully move forward, whatever circumstance you are in, you need to look backward and understand how God has been faithful to you. So maybe it looks like taking time this weekend to look back on your life and think, okay, God, where have you been faithful to me? And kind of like chart out your life of the moments in which you've been like, oh, God was there. And it's often like it's hard when you're in something that's difficult because you're, you're consumed by those things. But in, in those moments that you're out of those times, like take stock of what has happened in your life and how God has been faithful to you so that you can be reminded and, and talk to other people about it. Like share, share those times with others so that they may be encouraged as well. Don't bottle it up for yourself, but be like if someone else is in a challenging time, be like this is how God has been faithful to me. He will be faithful to you because God does not change. Continue to take stock of your life so that you can move faithfully forward like Abraham did, of ready to make that, that final decision to sacrifice his own son. And ask these questions of how has God shown himself to be faithful to you in the past? Maybe it's in really small things, of like even the fact that you have breath, well, that's a big thing, like even the fact that you have breath in your lungs, like as you become cognizant of your breathing, like every breath is from God. As you continue to live, God is faithful to you. So anything from the smallest mundane things to the biggest thing of your own life, God continues to remain faithful to you. And there will be times in which you're like, God, I, I don't feel like I've been faithful to you. We have this promise in 2 Timothy 2, 13. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So as we've seen, Abraham's faith is expressed not only in his statements of like, we will go and we will return, that the lamb will be provided for us, a sacrifice will be provided for us, but it's evidenced also in his actions of the fact that he is ready, to, he bound up his son, he put him upon the altar, he draws his knife and is ready to sacrifice his son. God responds and meets Abraham in all of this. So this last, this final scene that we see is that God provides um, so picking back up, he has this knife lifted, and in verse 11 it says this, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So as we talked about tests earlier, we see what, what was the purpose of this test? There's an opportunity to, uh, for Abraham to give evidence of his faith in, in God. That his faith is not something that is just like possible, but it's actually something that is realized. Um, some of us may take exception to the fact that it says, now I know, or saying, God's re like saying that now I know that you trust me, that you have fear in, of me. Um, God knows all things. So th this, this is more about he doesn't need the test in order to see it, but it's for Abraham to show and to um, illustrate that he has faith in God. And this is what it says in James 1.12. So back to this idea of, of being tested and under trials. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So as we remain steadfast under trial, as we face and come up against adversity in our life, as we come up against things that are difficult and challenging and it feels like we are being tested, we are to remind ourselves that as we stand firm and as we stand against those tests, that we will receive the crown of life. 
which is promised to those by God to those who love him. And as um, Abraham looks up and he, it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes in verse 13, verse 13, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went out and went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said on this day, on the mount, the Lord, it shall be provided. This phrasing of like, the Lord will provide, it literally means that the Lord will see to it, that God will see to it. So when you go to a restaurant and you're like unhappy with the food and you're like, can I see your manager? And the manager comes out and is like, they come talk to you and then you make your request and they're like, I'll see to it. They're saying that they're going to provide and make sure that everything happens as it's supposed to. So when you're acting like a Karen and like are upset about something, it's similar of God said, like, I will see to it. I will provide. And this is exactly what has, God has done in this scenario for Abraham. Abraham had faith and trust in God to provide for him. Um, we have the benefit of having all of Scripture before us. We get the whole revelation of God before us. Abraham, Abraham was learning in real time. Like, this story was written by Moses to the people of Israel, but Abraham was learning about God in real time. And yet we get the benefit of being able to look at all of Scripture. And in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham's faith was such that he believed that even if he did sacrifice his son, that God would have resurrected him from the dead. That is a true faith in a faithful God. That God is going to provide, that he is going to come through, that he is going to see through it, and as so, he is revealing his character to us. And God's provision to Abraham in that very moment, it came in the form of a substitute. A, a ram was provided in the thicket for for Abraham to, to sacrifice. Our ultimate provision has been given to us in another substitute, in Jesus, the Lamb of God. So as we think there's, there are so many different connections between this story and how they, how they relate and allude to the fact that Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice and provision that we need. Jesus is like Isaac in the fact that he carried his cross to Calvary and died for our sake on a cross. He was the ultimate substitute. He, he was placed on this cross at as he was crucified. And like the ram stuck in these thorns, he had a crown of thorns on his head. And as a result of Jesus' faithful obedience, for those that put their faith and trust in him, they too are forgiven of their sins and they can worship him freely as Isaac did. And they can be declared righteous and blessed before God. And as Abraham responds to this, or the angel of the Lord again calls him in verse 15 and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall be all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. 
as God makes this promise to him again, he is reminded of the promise that God made to him 25 years ago and, and repeatedly reminded him of throughout his lifetime, that I will be faithful to my promises, that he will surely see to it, that he will surely do it, that he will accomplish what he said he would, that he would be who he said he is. God is committed to his purposes and to his promises, and we need to know that. We need to trust in his character and know that God is faithful to what he has said he will do. So my question for us is, do we, do we know God's promises? Like, do we know what God has promised to us in Scripture? Or have we formed our own expectations of what God is going to promise, of, of comfort and, and good relationships and financial success and a good job or good education? I don't know where those things are promised within Scripture, but I do know the things that are promised, and there are multiple things that God has promised salvation to all who believe in his son. There, there is no greater blessing beyond that. There is a free gift of salvation that is yours if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. God has promised that all things work out for the good of those who love him. Often our idea of good is sometimes misinformed, but a good and perfect God knows what is best for us and is promising our good for those who love him. And it helps us keep this reminder and this picture of when we're in hard circumstances, when things are difficult, that we can put our trust in him and have a broader perspective. And when we are in those hard times, we can be reminded that God has promised us comfort in trials, that he has a plan and one day he will be able to share the comfort we receive. Not only that, we are promised new life. We are promised to be new creations in Christ Jesus, that the old has gone, the new has come, and that we are forever changed like the idea of salvation is a brand new existence for all of us that we get to step into. And as such, we have every blessing that is in the spiritual realm. And God has promised to finish the work that he has started in us, is what Philippians says. God does not, uh, he does nothing in half measures. The work that he has started, he is going to complete and he's going to finish. God promises us peace when we pray. He reminds us of our identity, of who we are, that we are actually sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. He promises us rest. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He promises abundant life to us in, in John 10.10. 10. And that we can have every spiritual fulfillment that we need to, in an abundance because of what he has done for us. And he has promised eternal life to those who place their trust in him. Not only that, but he's... The good shepherd says that he will hold you and, and he will keep you and he will raise you on that last day, that you are secure in him. But we're not just left here in that. He promises that he will return again, that he will return to, for us and from then on we will be with him forever. Do, do you guys know these promises? Do you guys hold on to these promises as you enter into hard times or if you've been in difficult circumstances? as you feel like it's really hard to get from point A to point B in life, you're like, God, where are you? I urge us and encourage us to be people that are holding on to the promises that God gives us because he will fulfill them as we've seen fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So as you think about your life and as you think about the things that are maybe challenging in this moment or, or the times that will inevitably come because we are promised hard times, we are promised that in this life we will have trouble, but God has overcome the world. Will you hold on to these promises? Will you believe that God is faithful? That he will do what he has said he has done and he will continue to do so?
is we need to hold on to what God has said to us and that we can trust in him in all moments. That he has revealed himself to be a faithful God and that we can trust him in the light of any circumstance. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, thank you um, for who you are. That you are a God that is faithful. That you are unchanging, that you are steadfast, that you are reliable and dependent more than anything on this earth. There is a reason as to why you are referred to as a rock in scripture. That you are not easily, you are not affected by anything. You are unchanging, that you are dependent, we're dependable, and that we can put our trust in you in moments that are difficult or we feel like we're being tested. Father, I pray that we would be a people that move forward in our life faithfully by looking back at what you've done and what you've promised to us so that we can continue forward um, in faithful obedience just as Abraham did. For all these things in your son's name, amen.